Hi and welcome to Youth Talk, a podcast ran by Baptist Youth where in each episode we take a new topic and think about it from the perspective of a Christian young person. Today we're thinking about the topic of people pleasing. What does it mean to fear God as opposed to man? Stay with us. Well I wonder are you a people pleaser? I wonder are you a people pleaser? Uh, the Bible doesn't talk much about people-pleasing. Uh, the phrase that's more commonly used in the Bible is the phrase, the fear of man. The fear of man. It's kind of speaking about this inbuilt tendency that we maybe have to want to please other people almost at all costs. Uh, and so we fear them uh, and we do whatever we can just to please them. And you might be listening to this and thinking to yourself, well, I'm not a people-pleaser. Absolutely not. Um, but there may be some little ways you can test whether or not you're a people-pleaser. I wonder if I was to give you some of these scenarios. I wonder have any of them ever rung true for you. I wonder if you ever heard someone tell a joke and you didn't actually get the joke, but everyone else was laughing away and so you thought to yourself, I don't want to seem stupid that I don't get the joke and everyone else does. And so you kind of do this little fake laugh along with them. You ever done that? Uh, That could be people pleasing, isn't it? It's really what it is. You're pretending that you know what the joke's about even when you don't, just so other people won't think that you're stupid. Or let me give you another example. Have you ever sat in the classroom and maybe in your maths class or whatever the case may be? And the teacher's explaining something from the front and you're sitting thinking to yourself, I have no idea what she's talking about. I don't get this at all. And then the teacher pauses for a moment and says, has anyone got any questions? Anyone not understand what we're talking about? And you just kind of sit there quietly and think to yourself, I have no idea what she's talking about, but um, no one else has their hand up. So I'm just going to kind of sit here and nod along and pretend that I know what I'm talking about. Ever done that? Uh, That can really be traced back at its root to fear of man. People pleasing, isn't it? Not wanting other people to think ill of you and uh, really wanting to create this image that you are perhaps in that moment smarter or better or whatever the case may be uh, than you might feel like you are actually in the moment. So those are are two examples of many others that you could find. Um, You could trace a lot of different things back to people pleasing or fear of man, being defensive, uh, gossiping, inflating your own credentials, not being able to say no. All these things really could be traced back to people pleasing or this idea of the fear of man. And that's a bit of a problem, isn't it, as Christians? Because uh, the Bible says that that we're not meant to fear man. The Bible says that the reality is um, we live in a world where we should expect opposition. We should expect not to have the world's approval. Uh, in fact, in John chapter 15, which I read recently, it says, just as the world hated me, so it will hate you. And so if we're really crippled by this problem of people pleasing, it's going to sort of jar with what we believe to be true and who we're called to be as God's disciples. And so really we've got a choice, don't we? Either we live for God's approval or we live for man's approval. Those are the only two choices. We live for man's approval or we live for God's approval. And um, as you think about people pleasing and living for people's approval or this idea that the Bible calls the fear of man, I want to give you three problems with it. Uh, Three problems that I think we see in the scriptures and we also just see in life as well about why uh, living to please people is not really a good way to live. Three problems. Here's problem number one. uh, The problem of security. The problem of security. I'm going to fire out a number of names for you, okay? And I wonder, can you guess what these names have in common? Can you guess what these names have in common? You up for the challenge? Here we go. Name number one, J.K. Rowling, okay? J.K. Rowling. Name number two, Ellen DeGeneres. Name number three, Jimmy Carr. Name number four, Vanessa Hudgens. Name number five, Pierce Morgan. Okay, those are five names for you. I wonder what each of those five names have in common. Some of you have probably guessed it. Well, these are all individuals who have been said to have been cancelled in the past year. Okay, they've all been cancelled kind of from 2021, 2022. Each of those five people have been said to have been 
cancelled. Now, in the off chance you don't know what it means to be cancelled, it's pretty much this new term which describes how the masses are encouraged to stop supporting uh, a particular celebrity or public figure. Um, you can express that by boycotting their movies or stop reading their books or stop buying their products, whatever the case may be. And each of these five individuals are said to have been uh, cancelled in the past year or two. And the interesting thing is that each of those individuals that I just listed, each of them were very popular at the time, weren't they? People loved them. People were flocking to buy their products. People were lining up and queuing up just to get a glimpse of them. They were people who were super duper famous. J.K. Rowling was like one of the best selling authors. People loved J.K. Rowling. Ellen DeGeneres was like one of the most popular TV hosts in America. All of Americans loved her. Pierce Morgan's maybe the example, or the, the one that disproves the example. He's kind of a, a bit of an outlier. But on the whole, these were people that, that everyone loved. Yet all of a sudden, what happened? They said something that kind of stood out of line with the kind of modern day ethics. Uh, something got exposed about them. Or maybe something got brought back up about something that they did 20 years ago that people don't like anymore. And all of a sudden, they're just cut off, cancelled. Um, doesn't that tell you something about the crowd? Doesn't that tell you something about people? Doesn't that tell you something about the approval of people? People are fickle, aren't they? People are fickle. You might be loved right now, but you can't guarantee that you're going to be loved tomorrow. And so you're always going to live your life. If you fear people, if you want to people please, you're always going to kind of live your life kind of with a state of anxiety, not really knowing whether or not you can maintain the affection and the approval that you crave and that you might even currently have. People are fickle. And so just because you've got people's approval today doesn't mean you're guaranteed to have it tomorrow. That's why there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in what uh, Proverbs says. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts the Lord is safe. Do you see how the author of Proverbs kind of conjures this truth up? The fear of man is a snare. It's a trap. You think you've got it, but really you don't. Ah, but with the Lord, there's safety. There's safety. And why is it true that with the Lord there's safety? Well, it's because of a characteristic of God, a particular characteristic of God. Excuse me for using a big word. Uh, but it's a characteristic which is described as the immutability of God. The immutability of God. That pretty much means that God is unchanging. He's unchanging. Our world is massively, un or massively changing, isn't it? Everything changes. And what's deemed acceptable changes. What's deemed noble changes. Uh, what you should wear changes. What you should say changes. And that's all changed massively in the past 10 years. Um. But not with God. God does not change. God is not going to move the goalposts on you. Uh, God's not going to ask you to do one thing today and then change his mind about what he asks you to do tomorrow. No, God is unchanging. You don't need to worry about him pulling the rug from underneath your feet. We can trust the Lord because he is unchanging. Totally unlike the world in which we live in, where you might have people's affection today, but you can't be guaranteed that you're going to have it tomorrow. And so if you're a Christian, you can have confidence, can't you? God is not going to cancel you. God is not going to cancel you. As a Christian, we're told that you can have favor with God. And this favor isn't something that can just be stripped away from underneath you all of a sudden. Why? Well, because the merit upon which you stand before God with favor isn't your merit anyway. Sure it's not. God has every right to cancel us if we just stand before him based upon what we've done. But we don't stand before God based upon what we've done. We stand before God based upon what his son, the Lord Jesus, has done. And he is perfect. He's perfect. And so that's really the first problem with with. Uh, the fear of man, the first problem with people pleasing, the problem of security, even if you're in favor with the people right now, you can't guarantee that you're going to be in favor with them in the future um, because people change, people are fickle. Second problem though with the fear of man and people pleasing is not just the problem of security, it's the problem of integrity. The problem of integrity. Uh, what happens when you live for the approval of people? 
Well, ultimately, at some point down the road, you kind of find yourself compromising, don't you? You find yourself doing things that you don't really want to do. You've probably all experienced this, maybe in big ways, maybe in small ways. We all know what it's like to feel peer pressure, where you know there's a group of people and they're egging you on to do something, or they're doing something and they want you to join in, and you're kind of sitting thinking in your own heart, I don't really want to do this. This isn't really something that I want to be seen doing or I want to be involved with. But because there's so many people doing it and they're trying to egg you on, you kind of think, well, just go along with it. I'll go along with the crowd. Once again, that's just people pleasing, isn't it? Fear of man. And so all of a sudden, we're led to do things that we don't really want to do or we don't really believe that we should do. And you see examples of this in the scriptures, don't you? Um, let me give you a few that, that come to my mind. You've got Joseph's brother, Reuben. Remember when Joseph's brother, again, there's peer pressure among the brothers. They want rid of Joseph. But one of the brothers, Reuben, he, he doesn't really want to treat Joseph so harshly. Um, but ultimately, he goes along with it because, well, peer pressure, fear of man, people-pleasing. Pontius Pilate's another example, isn't he? As you read the narrative around Jesus' crucifixion, it's quite clear that, that Pontius Pilate did actually believe that, that Jesus was innocent. He seemed to know that, that there was just jealousy from the Pharisees and the religious leaders was the main reason they wanted to kill Jesus. But what did Pilate do? Did he take a stand? No, because of the fear of man. He needed the people's approval. He went along with it and was led to do something that he ultimately shouldn't have done and didn't really want to do. You can think of positive examples on the flip. You could think about Daniel in Daniel chapter 1. Everyone is telling him and his friends to buy in chapter 3 or in chapter 1. They're, they're telling him to, to really assimilate himself into the Babylonian culture. And they are a positive example because they stand for what they believe in. Um, but you can really conjure this up in, in Psalm chapter 1 and some of the advice that we can get from it. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. God says to follow his law leads to life. It is wise, it is good. And such of these examples in, in scripture prove that very truth, do they not? That it's in following God's truth and God's law as opposed to following people that leads us into following ways that are true, life-giving and prosperous. So those are the first two problems. The problem of security, the problem of integrity. What's the third problem with uh, people pleasing and following the crowd? And having this fear of man. Well, it's the problem of hypocrisy. The problem of hypocrisy. This one might surprise you a little bit, but this could, in fact, be sometimes in Christian circles, the biggest danger when it comes to people pleasing is that as we think about the fear of man, sometimes it can take a very religious or pious appearance to it. Um, you know, it, it, we can be in a sort of Christian circles and all of a sudden we're motivated to do Christian things because we want to appear holy or we want to appear righteous or we want to look like we're good Christians. Um, it seems a bit of an absurd thing, maybe if you're not a Christian, but if you are a Christian, in the context of the church, you can so clearly see how stuff like that happens, can't you? And it's a real danger that we, we use good things and we kind of pervert them with the ultimate underlying motive, not being to glorify God, but to glorify ourselves and to make us look better than we really are in front of other people. Again, it's just people pleasing, wanting to make ourselves appear holier than others, better than others or wanting other Christians to think that we're super Christians. And again, there's examples of this in the Bible, most notably probably the Pharisees in Jesus' day. 
Um, in, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus exposes the Pharisees. He says, every aspect of your worship, you're doing many supposedly good things, but every one of those good things is actually hypocritical. You're just doing it to please people. You're just doing it because you want other people to think that you're holier than you are. And so he really highlights three aspects of their life. He says they're giving, they're fasting, and they're praying. He says, each one of those three things that you're doing, you're doing them as hypocrites because you're doing them to please people. He says, you're praying. Uh, you don't pray in quiet when no one can see you. You pray in the street corners where everyone can see you. Um, you're, you're fasting. You don't fast purely because you want to do it as a means of growing in your, your faith. You fast and then you smear ash on your face so that you look paler than you really are so that people might ask you, are you fasting? Are you fasting? Wow, very good. You know? um, or what about um, their giving? They give large sums of money. It looks very impressive, oh, but they're very showy about it. They want everyone to know that they're giving large sums of money. And so even when it comes to Christianity, and even when it comes within the context of the church, um, this little fear of man, this little idea of people-pleasing, can even take a religious front, and perhaps is even more dangerous. Now, I doubt that any of you who listen to this are smearing ash on your face to give yourself a pale complexion so that others will think that you're fasting. Maybe you are. You should probably stop. Um, but there may be many other ways in which we find the fear of man or this idea of people-pleasing creeping into our Christianity and actually making us a little bit hypocritical. Let me give you some maybe smaller examples. I wonder whenever you pray in public, do you find yourself maybe saying certain things that you would never say if you're praying by yourself, but you just say them because they're maybe big words and you feel like other people here in the room who are listening to your prayers might be impressed? I wonder do you, another example, maybe play in the church band. Uh, but you actually only play in the church band because you love that feeling of performing in front of people. It's nothing to do with, you know, actually worshipping the Lord or leading people in worship, but you like to be seen as the person holding the guitar. Um, maybe you take a little photo of your you know, Bible study and you post it somewhere so that others can see that you're doing your Bible study. Or maybe you engage in these deep theological conversations, not for the, the sole motivation of really discerning truth, but really for the motivation of trying to win arguments and maybe flaunt your knowledge of theological things. You see, seeking man's glory above and beyond God's glory can be very sneaky and very, very deceptive. And it's a battle that we all need to be wary of, that we don't uh, even become hypocrites as Christians because we do it even in the context of, Christ, of Christianity and the church. So there are three problems. Problem of security, problem of integrity, problem of hypocrisy. And as you think about overcoming the fear of man, maybe you're listening to this and you think to yourself, I'm a total people pleaser. Um, it's probably going to be a bit of a journey, isn't it, to overcome this fear of man. Um, someone I think of whenever I think about this topic is even Peter. Um, Peter is someone who, he kind of goes back and forth, doesn't he? At one point you think he fears man more than God, and then the next point you think, no, he fears God more than man. And then you read on, you think, actually, no, he fears man more than God. He goes back and forth. Um, because his progress is slow, you know. You start with Peter, and you think to yourself, "Oh, Peter doesn't care what people think. People doesn't care. Peter doesn't care about pleasing people. You know, he'll chop your ear off if he needs to. He'll do whatever you, whatever he needs to do to be faithful to the Lord." You think that, and then you read on a little bit more, and then you see Peter deny Jesus in front of a teenage girl, and you think, "Oh no, Peter fears man more than God." And then you read on again, and then you get to Acts chapter four. And what do you discover in Acts chapter four? You discover that that Peter is before the council with James, and they're they're pretty much told, "Stop preaching about Jesus." This is in front of the mob who effectively killed Jesus. And what does Peter say? He says, "We're not going to stop. We're going to keep going." And so you think, okay, well, Peter's learned his lesson. He fears God more than man. But then you read on again, and you get the lessons too, and you flop again, and you think, uh, Peter, now he's confronted by Paul because he's now putting on this front. Uh, where he will only eat with Jewish people as opposed to the Gentiles um, to kind of appear pious in front of the other Jews who are in town. 
And so again, you think, well, now Peter's not learned his lesson. Uh, and then you go to the end of his life, and Peter, what happens? Well, we're told that he was martyred for the sake of Christ. And so Peter kind of flip-flops, doesn't he? At one point, you think, he's got it. Next point, you think, oh, no, he's still people-pleasing. And then you think, oh, he's got it. And then you think, oh, no, he's still people-pleasing. He goes back and forth. He flip-flops. And that's, in one sense, the reality of the Christian life. This is a, a lifelong journey of trying not to fear man and to fear God. Because that is ultimately how we get over this problem, isn't it? How do we overcome the fear of man? It's to have that fear superseded and transcended by another fear, a greater fear, and that is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. Um, and the fear of the Lord doesn't mean that you walk around terrified of God every day. It's not what the fear of the Lord means. But it means to acknowledge that the Lord is your Lord. Lord means master. He's the one who uh, is your ultimate authority. He's the one whose approval you should ultimately seek in all things, uh, as opposed to the approval of people. We want to approve, have the approval of our Lord. We want to honor him as our highest authority above and beyond everyone and everything. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 10, 28. He says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Uh, Jesus put it pretty clearly here, doesn't he? Why would you fear man? What can man ultimately do to you? The worst they can do to you is what? Hurt you? Kill you? But even if they kill you, the paradox of the Christian life is even death is gain, Paul says, because once we die, we get to go to heaven. And so Jesus says, don't fear man. The worst thing he can do to you is, ironically, the best thing that could happen to you is that you go to heaven. But fear God. Fear God. He's the one who ultimately rules and reigns over everyone and everything. And so to fear God means to have him as your highest authority, to acknowledge that he is your Lord and to seek his approval and glory above uh, everyone else. But it doesn't mean that God wants you to walk around, as we said, terrified of him. That's not the idea. In fact, if we read on um, from that verse in Matthew 28, look what's said next. Uh, Jesus says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Verse 29, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father, but even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. With this, we'll close. Um, Jesus tells us to fear God, and then he gives us actually two motivations to do so. Uh, two motivations to help us pursue uh, God's approval as opposed to man's approval. Here's the first one. Uh, Jesus says we are loved. We are loved. By him, we are loved. Um, after Jesus says that verse in verse 28, where he says, don't fear man, fear God, because what can man do to you? You know, I can uh, do anything. He says, he starts talking about sparrows, doesn't he? And what does he say about them? He says, well, you can kind of sell two for a penny. In other words, they're not really that important. Yet notice what he says, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. In other words, even the most irrelevant creatures in the universe, sparrows, even they are captured within God's loving care. Yet, look what he says in verse 31, you are of more value than many sparrows. Do you see what, what Jesus is saying? Jesus is emphasizing to you how much you are loved by God. You're loved even more than sparrows. Sparrows are insignificant but even they are loved. You are made in God's image. You're the pinnacle of creation. How much more does God not love you? So firstly, you're loved. But secondly, Jesus says, we're known. We're known. Uh, sandwiched in between what Jesus says about sparrows, he says in verse 30, even the hairs on your head are numbered. Even the hairs in your head are numbered. So God is saying there, he knows you intimately. He knows you better than anyone else to the degree that he even knows how many hairs there are on your head. Now think about this for a moment and think about why this is significant that Jesus tells us that we are deeply loved by him and deeply known by him. 
Think about the fear of man. Think about people pleasing. Why is it that that's so crippling? Why is it that, that makes us so anxious? It does so because we always feel like we're playing a part, don't we? We always feel like we need to play a part to portray ourselves in a particular way so that other people might affirm us and like us. And we're kind of worried that if we step out of line in some way, then all that approval will just vanish. But notice what God says. Notice how God treats his people. It's totally different, isn't it? God is the one who totally knows us. There's there's no thing that God needs to discover about us. He knows it all already. There's nothing that could come out about us that will somehow shock God and cause him to remove his love from us. No, he knows it all. He knows you better than you know yourself. He even knows how many hairs are in your head. God says, you're known. But he also says, even though I know you totally, I love you perfectly. You're loved. And so doesn't that help you and liberate you from fearing God above man? When we think about fearing man, we're always anxious, always worried that they might find out something about us that they don't like and then they're going to reject us. But with God, he says, no, I already know everything about you. I know you better than you know yourself. I know the worst about you. Yet, ironically, I, the one who knows the worst about you, is the same one who loves you the most. Isn't that good news? Isn't that liberating? Doesn't that encourage you to fear man or not to fear man and to fear God instead? Here's how Tim Keller puts it. And with this, we'll close. He says, to be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But to be fully known and truly loved is, well, a lot like being loved by God. It's what we need more than anything. It liberates us from pretense, humbles us out of our self-righteousness, and fortifies us for any difficulty life can throw at us. Fear God, not man. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of Youth Talk. Join us again next Tuesday. We're going to think about the topic of climate change. Maybe one that you hear about in school. How should Christians respond to climate change? Um, is it something we should care passionately about? Is it something we should just forget about? How should we as Christians respond to climate change? Join us next week and we'll think about that particular issue. Have a great week. Have a great week.